perusing the internet trying to find interesting people and things and i actually came across the commission and i didn't even know we had a human rights commission i didn't you're, even know you're that not was a alone. Thing. yeah you're not alone. <laughs> is that pretty common do most people know that we have that if you're active in the community uh, especially around subjects like human rights the answer would be probably yes but the average the person layman. no so can you what exactly are the roles of the commission for people that don't know? What do you guys set up to do? What do you handle? How many of you are there? Okay. Yeah, well, the Board of Supervisors appoints the Human Rights Commission. And uh, we are composed of 15 people, three from each of the first uh, five uh, supervisorial districts. Uh, so each supervisor appoints three generally. and. Um, we represent all parts of the county. The main purpose, but not the only purpose, is to advise the county on human rights issues that we think that they should be taking a certain direction on. Uh, the history goes back to the 1960s, mid-60s, uh, anti-war uh, period and civil rights period. So that's where the origin came from. The uh, Topics that we've covered over the years have varied from minute <laughs> to uh, really major confrontational issues. So uh, it, it varies over time. The membership varies over time. We're made up of a, quite a cross-section of uh, people in the community, men, women, uh, older, younger, uh, you name it, we have it. So pretty good mix of you guys to try to get an accurate representation of the county as a whole. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that the supervisors make the choices as to who are, who is on the, uh, excuse me, who's on the uh, commission. Um, but it, as it turns out right now, we have a really good mix of people. And is that standard for every county? Does every county across the state have one? At one time, I think every county did. A lot of uh, counties have folded their human rights commissions into their human resources departments. We're happy that we're separate because uh, we're not a department of the county, so we can't be hired and fired by the county per se, whereas a human resources department could. So we, we have a little bit more freedom that way. And I would imagine a little bit more power too because you don't have that overhead threat of, hey, don't go over here because you might get canned. Well, yeah, I, I don't think that's a serious problem, but it, I, maybe in some counties it was, and therefore they migrated a, to a, a different format than we have. I think there are 11 or 12 human rights commissions throughout the state of California now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so when we say human rights, how would you define that? It's basic survival rights of, of every group in the county. Uh, whether that's gay, straight, uh, uh, ethnic minorities, uh, religious minorities. Uh, we try to represent all of those people. We've done a lot of work on homeless issues. Um, so it, it covers just about every vulnerable group in the county that you could think of. Uh, we don't represent them, but we try to make sure that 
if they need representation, that somebody's listening. So we uh, provide resource cards uh, for those people that aren't well-connected, don't have a computer, don't have a phone, uh, perhaps. Uh, they can get the services they need or the help they need. It's not all about providing services as providing connections. And in terms of the power that you guys have, what does that translate to? It's more a, a matter of how persuasive we can try to be. So you guys are providing recommendations on ways to handle situations. That's correct. Okay. Um, we provided a great deal of input to the county and to the city of Eureka uh, a few years ago on homeless issues. Um, some of it we were, uh, some of it got attention. Some of it did not. We we have to take our successes along with our failures. Is there any guarantee that anything will come from a recommendation from you guys on the commission? Not on its face, but if we feel strongly about something uh, and let's say we're proposing something to the county, uh, we don't have to take their first answer as our, their final answer. So we, we can try to persuade. We, we can go to the media uh, if we feel that's justified in, in trying to persuade the, the power brokers, if you will, uh, to uh, change course. So it really is about just drumming up the support and getting people involved so that you guys can make that impact. Yes. You don't necessarily have the power to paint with a broad brush and say, okay, now it's fixed. We don't make any rules. We just recommend rules. Which is sometimes a powerful tool in and of itself. We hope so. Yeah. And so the human rights idea, homeless, I would imagine discrimination falls under that as well. Social issues, are you guys pretty involved in that? Yes, they you can't all, separate them ver out very well. Uh, uh, social issues are connected to, to everything else because from depending on your point of view, the, the moral high road is something that everybody should aspire to. And there's an element of that in every, every issue that we deal with. How long have you been with the commission? This is my eighth year. Eight years. Wow. I had, Congratulations. I had a, a one-year break, but of eight years overall. Do you feel like there has been a tangible change or a tone of progress since you first started in terms of the social issues, in terms of homelessness especially? Well, I think everybody knows that the homeless issue is still with us and very strong. But we are believing that there is progress being made in terms of understanding the relationship between homelessness and mental uh, behavioral health issues. We've made a, a lot of recommendations in that re respect. So, uh, and I, I do think that as far as the county is concerned, which is where we get our origin from, we have a good working relationship with the Board of Supervisors now. It has, hasn't always been the case. Uh, so f for the first time in our history, we have a budget. Uh, it's a small one, but uh, nevertheless, it's, it's a start, and we think that we have a good working relationship with them. If we try to get their attention, I think they, they will listen rather than dismiss us. And that hasn't always been the case? Oh. They've been more dismissive in the past? 
it it has had its occasion, yes. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting because you're all appointed by them. So I would imagine it wouldn't be the relationship wouldn't be too confrontational. Well, you've got to remember that the board of supervisors unlike the commission is a political body and uh, depending on the balance of that particular body uh they may be more willing to listen or less likely to listen. Right now it's it's pretty good. And then you have that change when new officials get elected in and you're almost reworking those relationships. Sure, you take them one at a time uh, uh, and you get to know the people that you're dealing with and they get to know you. They get to, I think the, the advantage we have right now uh, in our working relationship is the, um, we are respected as not being too volatile. Uh, that doesn't mean we're weak. It just means we're not hyperbolic every time we approach the board of supervisors about something. We're respectful. We have a plan. Uh, we have ideas that we want them to consider. And that returns us with a good response, usually. The idea of being hyperbolic, is that has that been a problem historically for the commission? like almost making a mountain out of a molehill or crying wolf in that, some sense? That could have been on occasion. I don't, I haven't seen that in recent years, but you've got to keep in mind the board of supervisors who we deal with a lot. Uh, they are approached by a lot of people who have strong opinions about a lot of different things. Uh, the way you approach them has a lot to do with how they respond. And I think we're, in a good place with them right now. Is it almost playing the political game a little bit where you're kind of not necessarily rubbing elbows, but you have to be, you have to have that working relationship. You have to understand where you're both coming from. I don't think anybody's going to uh, sacrifice their principles for that relationship. I'd, I'd call it more of a human relationship than a political relationship. We know who appointed us. Uh, and. That's a variety of people, but we uh, we try to know how to work with them, how to approach them, and respect their time. And I think that works. I'm sure they appreciate that. I I hope so. <laughs> when going back, so when it was a contentious relationship between the commission and the board, what did that look like? Just being dismissal of recommendations from you guys not necessarily listening to the proposals that you're bringing up or the issues that you're identifying in the county it's a little hard to pinpoint exactly a single issue but I, i've seen times when uh, somebody might be approaching the board of supervisors like at a board meeting and they're basically or figuratively pounding their fist on the podium uh, that's not useful it 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 uh, shuts people's attention down immediately. And we try not to do that at this point. So you guys try to take a more measured stance? I, yeah, that's a good word for it. Yeah. Probably helpful. If, if you're the guy up there screaming, some people just kind of instantly tune out. You have to make the information easily digestible for people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, so going back with the issues and the stance of the county, do you feel like that is trending in a better direction, the issues across the board? Or would you say that the problems 
may have changed, but the severity of the issues is still there when it comes to human rights. The severity of the issues changes. Uh, I would say that three or four years ago, uh, a homeless issue was more contentious, more difficult to deal with. The county's gotten a better grip on that right now, but there are new issues that have developed, and uh, we're trying to pay attention to those issues as they change. Right now, there's a very polarized uh, feeling in the community, uh, right or left, whichever way you want to look at it. And uh, our goal is to make sure that everybody can be heard, but that they do. They're speaking with respect and compassion for the people that they don't agree with. Is that half of the battle is just getting that understanding, that foundation of mutual respect there between different members in the community or different groups in the community? I think it's more than half. <laughs> it's, it's difficult because people sometimes form their opinions before they have all the facts. That's one thing. And some people are uh are prone to express those feelings very strongly uh and when they're doing that they're forgetting to listen to the other side and the other side may not have something that they agree with but they may have a point that is worth considering but when you're yelling and screaming at each other um nobody's listening and it's it's a shutdown and it's not productive and it's a challenge when people dig in their heels, because oh. then how do you make progress? Sure. Once you devolve into that screaming match, all bets are off. Nobody's changing their minds. Nobody's opening themselves up to new information. You just, you become solidified in your stance. And this is, this is what it is now. Oh, that's, that's absolutely true. And it's, it's unfortunate because in a small community like we live in, this county, um, we ought to be able to work out most issues, no matter what your political background might be. Uh, we ought to be able to work those problems out thoughtfully and compassionately with an understanding that, yes, they're, like it or not, there's two sides to every story, uh, sometimes three. You never know. And uh, that's where we come in. We, we, uh, we get... Uh, Difficult chatter uh, at times uh, directed to us for even listening to other groups, uh, the, uh, opposing groups, let's put it that way. And uh, is that fair to us? I, I don't think it is. I think that we're trying to be even-handed and we're trying to uh, let both sides express their, themselves, but we ultimately want to make sure that nobody is expressing themselves at the expense of somebody else. <clears throat> Difficult chatter in the sense that people don't want you exploring a problem that was brought to your attention or in terms of what? Sometimes that's the case. Uh, I can't think of a really good example right now, but um, Uh, let me think here a moment. If there is an issue that is uh, percolating at the top right now, 
in the community. And just because we might have an open mind to listening to both sides of the issue, uh, that doesn't mean we're taking sides in, in that issue, except our ultimate goal is to make sure that no matter what you think, uh, you ha- have a right to express it. You just don't have a right to misconstrue it. If somebody has an issue or experiences some form of prejudice or uh, maybe like an act of hate speech or something, is there, they go to you, do they file a complaint or do they make a motion? How does that work? How does it get on your guys' radar? It's a combination of all of that. Uh, yes, some people have, well, we get, we have a message line. Uh, people can call in uh, anonymously if they wish, but we prefer that they leave contact information so that we can get back to Follow them. Follow up. Right. And uh, those people uh, will call us. They'll tell us that um, my neighbor is discriminating against me on the basis of my, the color of my skin. Um, there isn't a lot we can do in that case, but we do try to find out if, first, have you contacted the police? Have they physically threatened you, or is it just verbal? We try to understand the depth of the situation first. Uh, then we try to rec- make recommendations to them as to how they should proceed. Uh, some people approach us as representatives of groups that are active in the community. Uh, it could be a homeless group. It could be a, uh, a political group. It, it could be a, uh, a religious minority. Any of those things. Uh, if they think that we can provide leadership, especially where it, it applies to advising the county, uh, they may approach us in our meetings. Uh, we can then decide whether or not to take action uh, as we see appropriate. Do you guys have an investigative side of the commission or a group, a subcommittee that kind of looks into these accounts? We try to get all the facts. We have uh, about seven or eight standing, no, I shouldn't say standing, uh, ad hoc committees that are always in place, built around the most pressing issues that seem to be top of mind at the time. Uh, Homelessness is one. uh, Anti-human trafficking is another. Uh, We have committees that are covering indigenous people, uh, racial relations, uh, religious bigotry. Uh, I know I'm leaving out a couple, but uh, you get the idea. They're, those committees are always in place, and sometimes there's little activity on any particular one. Other times they're quite busy. So those subcommittees meet to try to recommend to the Human Rights Commission itself where we ought to go with this or what we ought to do. Uh, in this case, we're, we're considering having a, a meeting in the near future in Southern Humboldt. Southern Humboldt is an area that's got a lot of issues right now. Uh, homelessness has certainly been one of them, but now it's an economic downturn as well. Uh, we have held meetings there before, and we got a good turnout from the community. What we can exactly do, we don't know going in, 
what we can listen and try to understand. And now that we have a, a little budget, I said, uh, we can afford to uh, reach out to the Southern Humboldt community again uh, and try to arrange a meeting probably in Garberville uh, in the near future. Economic downturn because of the cannabis industry? Kind I, of I'm sliding. assuming it's mostly because of the cannabis industry. I used to work in Garberville at a supermarket and uh, it was the community seemed to be f thriving pretty well then, but it uh, doesn't seem to be now. Yeah, from what I've heard, it's, it's the structure of taxation that's been really messing with them. Yeah, I'm not an expert on that, that particular, particular issue, but uh, I've got enough anecdotal feedback from people to know that that's probably something that continues to need the board's uh, understanding and action. And so your guys' role in that would just to kind of stop the slide or preempt the slide and help out the community members? Well, in that particular situation, if it's mostly an economic or a um, taxation type decision, we don't have much of a role there. But if the results of inaction are leading to more homelessness, um, more blight in the community, uh, and then maybe more uh, con confrontation within the community, that's where we start to pay more attention. The human, the human trafficking aspect is one that I think is rightfully scary for everyone. Mm -hmm. Is that fairly prevalent here in Humboldt? It's a lot more prevalent than we think. We've worked a lot with uh, Empower, uh, Power, uh, Empower, Preserve, and, oh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, EPI. It's, it's related to a local church, uh, and one of the uh, leading advocates there is a survivor herself, um, and she has been tirelessly working toward educating the public about human trafficking and in Humboldt County primarily, uh, to the point where they got bus advertising for a year and a half or so on the major transit buses uh, to try to draw people's attention, give them a phone number that if they're being trafficked or if they know of somebody that is being trafficked, they have a resource that they can reach out to. They have a facility at the Salvation Army uh, Center here in Eureka that uh, allows people to drop in. Uh, they can stop in for things as simple as toiletries or just to talk, just to share their issues. Sometimes it's a housing issue. They can find a, an alternate place to live so that they're safe and, and not subject to the trafficking that they're experiencing. And so we've tried to support them. We had a, a, a $20,000 grant from the county, which is, has been used up now, but uh, it was administered by the Humboldt Area Foundation, and it was doled out in various ways to uh, support the anti-trafficking effort. And I, I think it's had some success, but that's a continuing issue too. Yeah, that's a battle that just doesn't end with the you know, drop of a hat. You can't just flip a switch and then human trafficking is over. No, and you have people that are perhaps parts of a vulnerable community in the first place, 
and because they're vulnerable, they're ripe pickings for for somebody that wants to take advantage of them. And that can be male or female. Doesn't it? Doesn't they're not selective about that. Well, that's what you hear a lot with things like those homeless encampments. Mm-hmm. Is that it's ripe with that because you have a bunch of people in these condensed areas that are usually kind of off the beaten path of the regular public. Officers aren't necessarily going back there all the time to protect those people. There's open drug use and that kind of breeds this era of, well, maybe there's some trafficking going on back there too. We can speculate, but I I would have to believe that's probably true. And the behavioral health element is also a a factor. Uh, If you're not at your best, let's put it that way, uh, you're more more than likely a good candidate for somebody to take advantage of you. Yeah, especially especially that. I mean, if you're down on your luck, life is not going your way right now. You're just trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. You're way more vulnerable than if you're sitting at home on your couch. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I wanted to ask, I'm not sure if you remember that homeless encampment. I think it was on 6th and West Ave. It was down behind the Humboldt County Office of Education buildings back there. I was present when they disbanded it. What do you make of that and their call to do that? Well, it's a hard balance because you have property rights, which obviously the, I believe that was Office of Education property, uh, and you have the human element. They have to have an alternative place to go. I do understand that most of those people, if, if they didn't take it, they were at least offered alternative places to be. Uh, are they always the most desirable? Probably not. but. Uh, at least services were provided and, and in some cases transportation was provided so that they could relocate. It's almost a double-edged sword because what do you do? You have this cluster of people and particularly for that one, there was just so much trash that these people weren't living in the best of situations. Filthy. Yeah, there was reports of a ton of crime going on back there because it was pretty forested area. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Do you let these people live in this sort of squalor and just hope that they get by doing that? Or do you clean them out? And then what do you do after that? You clean them out and then they go somewhere else and do the same thing? There's no plus in it for the community to just keep moving them around. But there is a plus in the community for having some kind of a plan on the part of whether it's a city of Eureka or Arcata or the county outside the cities, uh, they, my belief is that they shouldn't move people just for the sake of moving them. They should move them with a plan. Uh, uh, may that plan always be adequate? Perhaps not. But um, just to roust people up doesn't seem to me to solve anything. Well, it doesn't solve anything, right? You're no. just restarting the program. Yeah, somewhere, you, somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, you move them out of this area, you clean it up, you pack all the trash out, you try to get these people help, and then they move to another spot, and the cycle repeats. And then you go in there, and you clean it up, and you move everybody out, and then they it just, we're playing this cat and mouse game of, mm-hmm. well, we'll do this today, wait a couple months, and then we'll go back in and do it again. Yeah, and it's... It's kind of coupled to the housing issues in the county as well. Um, there's a lot of apartment building going on right now. We see it throughout town. 
you can't be absolutely sure that that housing is going to be something that a homeless person is going to take advantage of for a variety of reasons. It could be mental health, it could be addictions, uh, it could be lack of trust for organized communities. Um, it could be a lot of different things. So it's going to take a lot more than just building new apartments, even if they're low-cost apartments. Uh, it's going to take a lot more than that to solve the problem. It may help, and I'm sure it will, uh, because if you have affordable housing, uh, that's going to reach some of those people that are right on the edge right now. Do you yourself have an idea of what a better plan would look like in this cycle that we're on? Like post, so say you do go in and move them out, do you have an idea of what a beneficial next step would be for just letting them repeat the process? Well, personally, I don't have one to bring up right now, but I, I, I think I'll go back to the point that any plan that involves moving people or trying to get them out of where they are needs to be accompanied by a well-thought-out set of alternatives. Without that, none of the rest matters. Well, and one of my big problems with, I think, government in general is just the lack of a desire to turn the ship when we hit an iceberg. You know this is a problem. You know what we're currently doing isn't necessarily working. So maybe we should pivot and start a new process and see, okay, let's try this other way out and see if this works. And at least from my layman's perspective, it seems like a lot of problems that we face, we just keep running into the same wall and then hoping somehow magically that we're going to break through it. Government is by nature a bureaucracy and there's always money involved, whether that's state money or federal money or local money. And there are usually stipulations on how that money can be spent. And when it's accepted by the county or, or a city, um, it's understood that you're going to have to play within this particular set of rules. Uh, it makes it hard when you're a bureaucrat or a politician, depending on which choice of words you want to use, it's hard to pivot and turn that ship around and say, you know what, this just isn't working anymore. Uh, yeah, we'd love to have the funds, but if we can't do what we see is the right thing to do, but we keep your money, uh, that's, that's a choice that some of them are faced with all the time. Uh, the commission isn't faced with that choice. We can say, look, this just isn't working, and you need to consider an alternative way to go. Uh, and like I said before, sometimes the message gets delivered and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it just falls on deaf ears, well, which is that's the problematic dozen. in and of yes. itself, right? Yes. Do you think that, I mean, what would you say are the prime problems that are facing the council right now? Is it just a division of those subcommittees to some extent, the, the trafficking, the homelessness, the relations amongst the community members, or is there a prime one that sticks out that is challenging right now for you guys? 
Yeah, I venture. I, I hesitate to go down this road, but uh, I will. <laughs> uh, right now, uh, it's the the level of discord in the community. And that's kind of a general thing, uh, not on any particular committee's agenda per se, but uh, we have generally worked under the radar most of the time in the community. Uh, it's unfortunate that a lot of people in the community don't know what the Human Rights Commission is. Uh, but if you're coming at it from the point of view of an activist uh, or somebody with a political agenda or something like that, you do pay attention. And all of a sudden we find ourselves uh, at the center of issues that we never really expected to be. And that's unfortunate because what we were talking about earlier with some of the people who aren't listening, um, if they aren't listening, it doesn't matter what you say, but you still have to keep trying to say it. I hope I'm not talking in circles there, but uh, um, the dialogue in the community is important, and it's not particularly uh, positive right now. So we find ourselves playing defense on things that we shouldn't feel we need to. For instance, um, the county of Humboldt recently passed an anti-hate speech resolution about two or three weeks ago. The, I, I happened to be present at that board meeting. I wasn't there officially at all, but I was quite pleased with what they said. I didn't see it as controversial. Others did. Um, and now the commission wants to take a position on either praising or correcting what the board has put out there. Uh, I have a feeling I know how that'll turn out, but we'll, we'll, we'll go through the process and, and talk it through. Um, just because you are against hate speech, I think most of us understand what that sounds like, doesn't mean you are against people speaking, uh, speaking up for the, what they believe. It's when that speech and when that belief becomes damaging or hurtful to people who have done nothing wrong, that's when we are concerned. The resolution against hate speech, that was in reference to the Lost Coast populist, uh, their little setup where they had those anonymous kind of posts sent to the board, correct? Yeah, and I want to make it really clear. When, we, when I person, personally spoke, I, didn't, I really didn't care about how they got to the point where they created the hate speech resolution. All, to me, a lot of that was just noise. I was commending the Board of Supervisors for the basis of what was in the resolution. It wasn't talking about um, anonymous sources or anything like that. It was talking about uh, the discourse in the community. That is what I've supported. I still favor it. Uh, but it wasn't because you could get into the weeds on 
how they might have become aware. I think the Board of Supervisors was aware that something was in order from them long before that particular kerfuffle <laughs> took place. Because of a rise of hate speech against well, members in the public or just a general sense that well, tensions the, the, were rising? the Board of Supervisors has been getting peppered with some regularity uh, on those kinds of issues. Uh, and so is the city council, especially Eureka. And uh, so they're, they're, they're aware that these problems exist. And I think the, uh, the issue that you were mentioning just happened to push them over the finish line to finish up the uh, resolution. I think they probably would have done one anyway. Regardless of getting that. It was just the straw that broke the camel's back. I think that's exactly right. The idea of kind of casting out hate speech, but not disallowing people's right to speak their mind in some sense, is that a difficult line for you guys to walk? Sometimes, yes. Uh, Because we, we try our very best not to be political, not to be, uh, drawn in on one side or the other, but to be as even-handed as we can. Um, So, yeah, it is difficult, and it is not always understood, and maybe an opportunity like today is is a chance for me to clarify why we do what we do and when we do it, or don't do it. Well, and it must be challenging in the day of the internet and social media, because a lot of the backlash that I've heard in reference to the board's motion against hate, right? Or the resolution against hate is that it seemed counterproductive in some sense, because if you take into account that it was this anonymous source initially, if you take that into account, people feel that, well, the internet is full of just crazy people saying crazy things just to get a reaction out of people. This idea of trolling, of baiting people to kind of lead them in and then you're Sure, I, I agree with that. I, I think that's that's true, but again, going back to what was in the resolution, I think as a standalone document, there, I don't think there should have been anything that anybody should have been concerned about, uh, except to acknowledge that hate speech exists, generally speaking. And that uh, it's not something that we should condone. Do you think that the message of that was kind of clouded by, again, that source? That it would have been more powerful had the board just come out and said that prior to that incident or on a more solid incident of something actually happening in the community with people that you could identify and point to and say, hey, this thing actually happened? Almost like a stronger foundation or does it not well, matter? Well, I think in your that mind? the the uh, the reaction to the resolution would have had a lot less steam had it happened independently. Because how would you attack it if you could point yeah. to an instance and say, "This is why we did that"? Right. I I think that's true. And you guys got a lot of backlash for that, or you're just witnessing the backlash come at the board. We're we're, wit- we're witnessing and and uh, we're getting involvement in our uh, meetings that indicates to me that uh, this issue this this issue and others isn't going away anytime soon. Well, I think the issue of of hate speech and especially as it relates to 
the LGBT community is a is a very prominent topic, not just locally but nationally. Isn't for that whatever a coincidence? Reason. It's isn't insane. It? Yeah, it it is uh, no surprise that it's a national issue. Um, yeah, the the oh, I guess we're gonna go there. Um, the uh, whole issue of drag shows, drag performances. Uh, I happen to be a gay man. I uh, went to my first, what I thought was going to be my first uh, drag show at College of the Redwoods a few weeks ago. It wasn't really a drag show in the traditional sense that I pictured, um, but it was well attended. Uh, I came away from it wondering, what the heck is this all about? What uh, is Have there ever been a um, examples where something inappropriate was done, perhaps with uh, children around. I'm sure that's probably true. But as a general rule, is it that big of an issue? I, I didn't see that it was. Um, and uh, I, I saw some people there that uh, were not happy with it. I don't think they saw the show, though. <laughs> so uh, it was pretty, pretty uh, benign as, as far as I could tell. Um, uh, and there's a whole rash of, uh, issues that are related, uh, to the LGBTQIA plus, uh, topic. Um, we don't necessarily stake out a, a, a position on that in general, but we try to make sure that if somebody is uh, of one of those members of that community that is vulnerable, that they know that they have a, a, a voice or a place where they can voice their opinions or their fears, and uh, we're willing to listen to them. And if action is warranted, uh, we'll recommend that action. What do you make of the backlash against all-age drag shows? Do you think that a lot of that is unfounded? Do you think there's some validity to it? Do you think it's just being blown out of proportion? I don't claim to be an expert on, on the subject, but from everything I've seen locally, and then I understand is going on nationally, it, it's a concerted effort, I believe. Uh, it's not um, spontaneous, as far as I can tell. Um, I think that there are responsible performances that can be had and probably irresponsible performances that can be had. Uh, I have, I, well, at that performance that I went to, it was a stage production. Uh, it wasn't a, a nightclub-type production at all. Were there, were there kids there? Uh, yes, there were. Uh, was there anything lewd or lascivious that I could see? No, there, there wasn't. Uh, uh, the children that were there, as far as I could tell, were there with their uh, parental, uh, their, their parents. Um, in general, I, I, I think everybody has to be more responsible. Uh, the uh, queer community is. Uh, Apparently, uh, 
moving forward with having other drag type shows. Uh, that's their right. With and so I don't know if that's done to antagonize the people that are antagonizing them. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, I, I I don't know what else to say to that, except I think that it is uh, a bigger, it's not as big an issue as it's being portrayed. That's a short way to answer my long answer. <laughs> when you say concerted effort, do you mean that in terms of people trying to decouple the drag shows from the all-age drag shows or just attack drag shows in general or attack the queer movement more so as a whole? I'm getting That's kind in, of a loaded question. Yeah, huh? I'm getting into an area that I'm not really very well qualified to answer, but I do think there is a concerted effort to inform the public about drag shows generally. I didn't say inform them well. I just said inform because I, I think that when I say there's a concerted effort, I think that effort is, gain, is primarily aimed at uh, people who probably have no knowledge of drag shows at all. So their first opinion about those drag shows is what they're being told. So if the information is accurate, great. That's what it should be. Uh, if it's inaccurate, uh, then there needs to be a, an attempt to clarify that situation. Well, it's challenging because it, it surrounds this idea of children. And whenever kids are involved, people are rightfully so kind of charged and you can kind of use that energy in any way that you would like. Yeah, I, I think that bringing, well, bringing kids to a, a drag show, if we're going to stay on that, uh, is a tough decision, I would think, for any parent. Uh, but they have a right to make that choice uh, with their children. I didn't say for their children, but with their children, as to whether or not this is something that they want to do. Um, I know that just by the nature of the conversation, when you bring children into it, you charge up the whole subject that wouldn't have had anybody's attention otherwise. And how many children are involved? If one is inappropriately there, that's one too many. I, I'll grant that right away. But the day that I attended this show at CR, um, I would guess there might have been five or six, maybe seven children that I saw. Uh, otherwise, it was an adult audience. And like I said, it was pretty uh, benign type of uh, performances as well. So those kids probably thought it was just a lot of fun. Uh, now, everybody has a difference of opinion. I, I fully admit that. Uh, the next step I think that's important is uh, because of the kind of communication or miscommunication, depending on your choice of words, uh, the commission is 
embarking on a program of developing public service announcements that will be aired locally on television and radio and in social media uh, from the point of view of various groups in the community. Uh, some of those groups will represent uh, racial minorities, religious minorities. Uh, some of the groups we've been talking about just now uh, will be speaking their truth the way they see it uh, to a camera with a brief message. And the whole point is humbled better together. Uh, we'd like to make this a positive effort, not a negative effort. So we're not out to attack anybody, but we're trying to better inform people of what it's like to be part of a religious minority, for instance. Uh, it doesn't matter what somebody tells you they believe or what, they, uh, what their history is. It's better if you hear it from the people themselves. And that's what we're trying to do. We're, do, we're in the process of developing this now, and it'll be airing probably in 1st of July. And so these PSAs, they're going to cover a wide variety of topics from the perspective of those people who are directly yes. being presented the, the with The speakers those will be people that are part of those various groups. Uh, ultimately, we've identified about 15 different groups, some of which we've talked about a little bit here. Uh, some have signed on immediately to, to express their views. And we're working on the content now. Uh, others have been a little less responsive, let's put it that way, to uh, getting their message prepared. But we think that once they see the results of the first round, which is five or six different commercials, uh, that they will probably want to join in on the second round. And is the goal to build, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to repeat some of the groups, uh, indigenous groups, uh, homeless groups, and not so much the group, but a message from an individual point of view. And is the goal with that just to disseminate the individual story or to make a, a sort of broad appeal to the general public? in terms of understanding these people? It, it's, that's the effort is to improve the understanding of those people. Uh, and if they choose, remember the content is chosen by the people that are involved, not, not by the Human Rights Commission. Uh, if they believe that they can correct a misunderstanding or a mis, uh, miscommunication that's out there, uh, this is a good opportunity for them to do that. Are you guys going to have an oversight panel or anything with that? Or this is purely the content that will be in those is purely up to the individual involved. The content is up to them as long as they understand it ultimately is tied together with the one theme, which is that humble better together. Uh, the only way we are involved in changing the content, if you will, is to try to fit it down into 32nd, uh, ads that are that make sense and aren't rushed so obviously our first effort to get people to submit content 
we ended up with many speeches, and that just that just doesn't work. It's too long, and it's hard for people to pare things down to a brief bullet point, basically. Uh, but that's what we're that's where we get involved, and where the production company uh, is involved as well. Not to change the meaning or the the scope, but just to make it work. Is this going to be a social media campaign, or are you guys going to put this out on local stations? Originally, it was intended to be just on local stations. Uh, we are trying to improve our social media presence. We're not very busy or very active, uh, and we have some people now in the commission that uh, are not only willing but able to uh, better address social media questions than, than I would be. Yeah, I've seen your guys' Facebook page That's for the pretty, commission. Yeah, pretty stagnant. Yeah, a lot of just <laughs> old live streams from lockdown era and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's it needs work for sure. And so the idea behind this was just to kind of almost rally the community in in understanding, bring everybody together. Well, that's that's the whole idea. Will will we bring everybody together? I. I would certainly be pleased, pleasantly surprised if that was the case, but at least there is a, a a different narrative being offered, and that's what this is all about. Do you feel like in our age today, where everybody is so accessible to each other, do you think that the understanding of different perspectives is still as deep as it would have been 50 years ago, or 20 years ago, or pre-internet? Well, that many years ago, we didn't have that many differences of opinion, but we we had we had differences of opinion, but we didn't have as fragmented a discussion as we have now, and I think that's that's the key difference. Uh, the internet, uh, the ver- you know, when I was growing up here in Eureka, when I well, I don't want to date myself too much, but we had one television station for many years in my life. Uh, now we have with cable you have a ton a ton of them and then then along comes the internet and social media in the 80s and 90s and 2000s and you just like this program here you have a variety of sources of information you can take that information as gospel or you can just add it to your arsenal of sources uh to make a hopefully an, an informed uh, decision and create a defo- informed attitude about things. What do you think that that fragmentation stems from? Just the the insane amount of information that we have. It it is certainly that, but uh, for better or for worse, uh, people are smart. They see opportunities, and they uh, they are willing to. Uh, capitalize on those opportunities, sometimes to make a buck, sometimes to make a point. So you think it's more of this idea of, on some level, a bad actor initiating things? I don't think it's always intentionally bad acting, but I think that slips in. And uh, if not called out on it, I think it has a a good opportunity to succeed because there, there are a lot of uninformed people in the world. Uh, I'm not saying stupid, 
they're just not. I would say stupid. There are some stupid people. I throw myself in there sometimes too. (laughs) Well, I'm stupid on some issues. I agree, but uh, I I think there are people that are underinformed, and they are prime candidates to either be informed well or or poorly. I think the challenging with information nowadays is everybody operates on their own terms. So everybody has their own facts. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their own interpretation of those facts. And you can just wage war with that because you have facts on your side. Every, this idea of do your own research, everybody has co-opted that into the sense that because I Googled some things, I know exactly what the truth is. And you disagreeing with me is not a challenge against my set of facts. It's a challenge against me and I can't have that. So you're wrong, just fundamentally. I... I... I Google as much as anybody, and I am, would be the first to say that I don't believe necessarily the first thing I see on, as a Google answer to my question. Uh, and there really is only one set of facts. There are interpretations of facts. There are misquotations of facts. But facts aren't variable. They're, 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 they're of, of, constant thing and uh, it's like saying two and two isn't four uh it isn't a matter of opinion whether it's four it's 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 a pretty well established fact so yeah we could get into the weeds of that kind of a, a discussion but it's it's common these days to to say exactly what you said that these are my facts and uh i'm i'm uh I'm sticking with them and your facts are wrong. That's really not the way we should look at it. We should be exploring what are provable facts. It almost seems that there's a, a desire to move away from that in some sense by some groups, that the objective fact isn't a thing that should be considered anymore. It's all about subjective truth in your own lived reality. I would challenge the wisdom of that because I would I agree with that. Yeah, I, I I It's a slippery slope to go down. It is no matter which side of the equation you're on, it's 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 very risky and ultimately I don't think it's productive. Well, if we start eroding facts, I mean, where does that lead us as a society? If we can't agree on a set of objective truths that are just that, are objectively true that you can argue against if you'd like, but it's kind of a mute point because they're established. This is, we know without a, like gravity, nobody's arguing against gravity. You have people arguing for flat earth, which you could throw that out there as an objective truth that it's not, but you have people arguing it, but things like that, if that extrapolated out into society as a whole, where do we go? We just evolve into chaos. We can't, how do we have an open discussion if we can't have this foundation of truth that underlies it all? No, I agree. I, we have 50 states in the United States of America, plus some territories. There might be a state or two that wishes they weren't part of the United States, but they are. That is a fact. And uh, I wish we could expand that acceptance of fact to a, a wider range of subjects. But when you get into, well, back to where we started, social issues uh, or issues that affect vulnerable people, um, 
it's more challenging to uh, get consensus on that. And I would imagine it's more challenging for the commission to step into some of those issues in terms of if you have people utilizing free speech to protest things and those things are marginalized groups, where is the line between, again, using your free speech to protest versus it becoming a an act of almost hate speech in some sense? Because That's, you, you uh, have these politically charged activists on both sides nowadays, right? Sure. That's difficult. Um, it's a moral decision on, the, on each person to, to evaluate themselves. If they're not willing to evaluate themselves, that's a different story. But if they are, they, I have to believe from my own personal life that they would eventually say, well, okay, this is what I strongly believe. And... I, I have a right to say it, but if it's going to be hurting somebody else or cause them to be hurt just by virtue of your choice of language, uh, then maybe I refrain from saying it or I tone it down. But there are a lot of people in this county, in this country right now, who are not willing to tone it down. Uh, I see that as a, a problem for the country, uh, as well as for those individuals. That they're not willing to tone it down. Yeah, or even consider toning it down. I think if we won't even have that conversation with ourselves, how can we have any conversation with anybody we disagree with? I, I, it has to start with yourself. And a lot of people haven't given it that much thought yet. Do you think that free speech line, the free speech to hate speech, is is a spectrum of sorts, or do you think there's a hard line where it crosses? And especially in regards to protests, do you think that there's this like a finite moment or a finite phrasing or something of that sort? Or it's it's a little more gray zone? I'm afraid it's probably a little more gray zone. Um the 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 point at which it is a, in my opinion, I'm not an expert on this, but in my opinion, when it becomes hate speech is when you have suddenly caused a situation to exist that could have been avoided. Uh, and that could be saying something that seems to advocate to harm somebody because they are whatever they are. Uh, and exactly where that line is, I, I couldn't, couldn't really say. I'm not going to be the arbiter of that. But uh, I think, in general, we have norms in society that tell us, okay, this is going a little too far. And... Exactly where that is on that spectrum, uh, I, I, I couldn't say for sure, but uh, I think we all kind of know it when we're there. And I've seen uh, literature distributed in, in the community that uh, was definitely hateful. And if you took it at face value, uh, you would have uh, 
definitely seen it as a violent threat. And there's no question in my mind that that is hate speech, whether it's printed or whether it's vocalized. Is it challenging in the sense that when it's open, when it's open to interpretation like that, it, it opens up this whole other world? Because one person's interpretation of hate speech, if, if we're interpreting it not necessarily at face value, but more of a, a feeling you get from it or the ability for it to lead somewhere further down the road. Well, the, the, uh, the uh, sticker that I was referring to uh, was something that was distributed in McKinleyville on the Hammond Trail. Uh, it was attached to some benches uh, along the trail. And it was anti-trans literature. There probably could have been something printed and put up, but a lot less interesting, that uh, didn't portray a baby with a hammer to its head. And that was anti-trans? Was anti-trans, there... implying they should be dead. A baby? A baby. Was there... I don't understand the connection of a baby... With its head bashed oh, into trans. Excuse me, I, I shouldn't have said baby. Young, young child. A young trans child. Yes, correct. Okay, because okay, I was sorry. trying to figure out how the baby, I was like, well, first no, off, no. baby yeah. with its head bashed in is bad enough, but how does that jump no, to trans? No, I, I apologize. That, okay. that was not correctly worded. Uh, without that hammer, I think you could have argued that that was free speech. Uh, still could have been in bad taste, but not harmful. But the hammer it adds that element of either advocating that that be done or to some person that's not uh, playing uh, with, the, <laughs> with the, all of society's morals, uh, they might see that as a green light to take some other action similar. That's poorly, poorly phrased, but... No, uh, but I get, I, I completely understand the sentiment. It's kind of, it's definitely a messed up sticker. I mean, if we're on, I mean, yeah, that's, that's problematic. But if we're on the, the idea of trans, the counter to that would be there are people who say dead naming is an act of hate speech. Dead naming? Oh, dead naming is, so if a person transitions and they adopt a new name or they come out with oh, this new name okay. referring to them as the name that they had before transition. And the point I'm, I'm missing the point. They, they would refer to that act as hate speech. So if I, so say I transition and I'm, I transition to a girl and I'm now Sally, if you referred to me as Nick, that's an act of hate speech. See, so it gets a little dicey, right? Cause now we start going down this yeah. rabbit hole of interpretation and, Feelings. Yeah, it's interesting you should even bring that up because last night at our Human Rights Commission meeting, uh, we had a presentation on pronouns. And most of the commissioners are uh, 50 and up, so we're not as well... Uh, a little bit of an education uh, lesson. Yes, yes, it was. And uh, for some of the commissioners, uh, it was old hat. They, they knew exactly how to handle it. Uh, because in their own lives, they might be living that and uh, don't accept the traditional pronouns that you would think would apply t to each of us. Um, so it, it was an education, absolutely. And I hadn't heard that 
particular term before, so that's was new to me. Well, the pronouns is is right up that alley. They would say that if you don't refer to a person with their preferred pronouns, that is also an act of hate speech because you're not identifying this person fully or how they choose to be identified. Yeah, that sounds like a stretch to me, but I would think. Yeah, but uh, but we did discuss sort of related. What if you accidentally refer to a she as a he for whatever reason? Uh, is that hate speech or is that just something where you, when you are made aware of it, you realize, oh, I'm sorry. You say you're sorry and move on. It doesn't have to be hate speech, I don't think. Did the board have a, did you guys come to a final stance last night on the program? No, topic? Th- this was proposed, uh, it wasn't a proposal, it was a presentation by a, a student here in in the area that uh, has done a lot of uh, uh, PowerPoint presentations about pronouns. And so we wanted to learn more about it. Uh, a number of us adopted, we have name cards uh, on the desk, and we adopted the appropriate uh, pronouns for ourselves. And it varies. It's all over the map. Uh, as far as how people did it. Some people chose not to choose any pronouns at all. Uh, There's no right or wrong to it. It's just what you feel best represents you and is most respectful to those people that you're dealing with. What do you think that stems from? The The pronouns? Yeah, the emergence of, of things in that realm. The idea of these, these signifiers that you need people to acknowledge and to have expressed, not necessarily as, as a moral argument of are they good or bad, but just in general, like, because 50 years ago, nobody cared about pronouns. Nobody's like, oh, what are your pronouns? And then flash to today, and it's this huge, it's a culture war issue. It's this giant movement. It's, it's all of these things that seemingly has come out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that assessment. I. Uh, it's of course new to me. I'm still learning about it. Uh, I think it probably goes back to what we were talking about earlier, with the uh, you either had one channel <laughs> of television or you have fifty, or, or you have multiple news sources and multiple social media sources. Uh, I have a, a niece that uh, doesn't identify uh, either. Either way, I don't know exactly know what pronoun she uses for herself, but uh, uh, if it weren't for the multitude of communication options available and the fact that she can communicate with somebody else that uh, is going through the same thing in their life and realize that they're not alone, there's actually more than one of me. Uh, I think the opportunity is there for more people to express themselves than ever existed before. Is that complicated? You you bet it is. <laughs> but uh, is it their right to identify themselves? I certainly think so. Uh, I I wouldn't want to be living their life uh, because it's it has to be difficult. But if they can find a way to make themselves happier. Uh, by living what they consider to be their truth, um, I think that's that's healthy. 
It's healthier than considering ending it all, which many have. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms going down that rabbit hole. What I've thought about, because I, I find it like interesting just as a case study of where we are in society. Do you think, and my interpretation has been that I wonder if some of this has stemmed from, I don't exactly know how to phrase it, almost a rising comfort level as a medium across society, that things today in society for most people are okay, you could imagine. Most of us, I mean, people aren't being sold into slavery in this country. We don't have insane plagues that are running through the streets. People aren't, most of the time, dying and just dropping dead and rotting in the streets. I mean, most people have access to clean water, at least in this country. Obviously, other countries are radically different. But here, everything is, for the most part, at least baseline okay-ish. Better than it ever has been in human history, I would argue. And so with that, there's almost an inclination in people to fight for some just cause. And we're almost extrapolating out the line of what a just cause is. Because we have issue, we have real issues like trafficking, which is a huge issue. But we also have pronouns, which you could argue, I would argue, is not necessarily the same issue. But pe there are people that would argue it's just as important. And the dead naming and these things that categorically might not stand up to others, in my mind, are now on par with them and others. I think that's the only part I would disagree with. Are they on par or are they just among a number of issues that we can talk about? I think a lot of what you said, you qualified by saying for the most part or things are better-ish, things like that. Uh, yes, I, I would say that's probably true. We, we have a high standard of living in this country, but you don't have to go very far from this room to see people living on the streets, uh, people walking up and down the street, screaming and yelling at the sky. Um, you, those issues aren't as common maybe as they once were, but they're still there. Would I, what am I going to be the most concerned about personally? Uh, the homeless person that despite all their best efforts, can't find a place to sleep if, if they're choosing to or worrying about pronouns. Um, I think there's room to discuss both, but one has a little bit higher priority in my mind than the other. Yeah, I would agree with that. I just think that there are shifts happening among how we identify which is more problematic or which, is, which should be a bigger focus, not necessarily more problematic, but where our attention should fully lie. And I think that shift is kind of fascinating to watch as a, as a guy almost just coming on the scene and actually starting to pay attention to how the world works. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's shifting and we have to be aware of that shift and decide individually and collectively whether that shift is healthy or not healthy. And, uh, or is it a distraction that we, could avoid if we wanted to. Okay, well, Jim, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Well, I, I 
This went in directions I wasn't exactly <laughs> sure it was going to go. You and me both. <laughs> uh, I see you brought some pamphlets. Did you have anything you want to add here before no, we I wrap up? No, I just brought it. Brought it up as uh, just brought them as a reminder of what we, we what we do. But I think I remembered. <laughs> okay. Um, really, I appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. Do you want to plug where people can find you? Where they can find the Human Rights Commission? Um, Sure. All of your guys' stuff, your social medias, anything like that? Sure. We have a Facebook page for the Humboldt County Human Rights Commission. As we said earlier, it's it's not the most active in the world, but we're going to fix that. Uh, we have a uh, web page uh, on the county website at humboldtgov.org. All you have to do there is look under uh, boards and commissions, and you'll find uh, the Human Rights Commission. And uh, if you have a uh, a serious personal issue that you think we can help you with, uh, and you're willing to leave your name and number, uh, we have a phone number that's 707-268-2548. And uh, we'll try to get back to you with a responsible type of uh, answer for your question. Okay. And the PSA is coming out over the next few months? Oh, uh, sometime in the first two weeks of July. First two weeks of July. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Jim. Okay, thank you very much. 